Merry Christmas, everybody. Merry Christmas. I want to take a minute and say hello to and Merry Christmas to our family joining us right now at the South Campus and everybody joining us online wherever you are watching this from or whenever you are watching this. We're so grateful to have you with us. Come on, North Campus. Let's tell them how much we love them. We love you so much. I cannot believe it is the week of Christmas. Um, And first of all, let me just say thank you for everybody who prayed for me last week. Uh, my voice was not making it uh, through the message, so thank you for enduring that. Um, but it's doing a lot better today. Keep praying. Um, it's, it's been lingering, but doing much better. A couple quick things. Today is the Sunday before Christmas, and we've been telling you this every week. We've been, we have this outreach that we have done where many of you have taken these boxes and filled them with gifts for people. And today at 3 o'clock, we are meeting here at the North Campus to take those boxes to the families that we're going to deliver them to and to pray with them and just share the love of Jesus with them. And so we have over 70 boxes. And even if you did not participate in building the boxes, you can still participate in going and praying for people. So if you want to be a part of that, come join us three o'clock here today uh, here at the North Campus, and we'll go do that. And then, as you've heard many times, this Friday night uh, is our Christmas Eve services. So Come to one of those. Bring your friends. We've left cards in our physical locations for you to take and invite people just to say, come ice skating with me. That's the hook, but then we'll get them in here and we'll give them some Jesus too. So we always want a hook to bring them in, and then we want to share the love of Jesus with them. Uh, and then lastly, uh, next Sunday, online only. I just don't want you to show up here and be banging on the door and no one's going to answer. We're online only because we have our Christmas Eve services on Friday night. Christmas is on Saturday, so then Sunday morning, wake up with your family, gather together at 10 a.m. Um, I had all these dates. Let me, I forgot to put them up for you. There we go, 10 a.m., and uh, so that you don't miss that, and you'll hear some testimonies, and Tandra and I'll be sharing some things with you guys, but it'll be a good time. We'll have some worship together as well, and then January 2nd, the first Sunday of the year, we'll start our 21 days of prayer and fasting. And this is just a, an incredible time for our church that we've been doing now four or five years straight where we take time as a church to set aside the first of the year to build some habits in our lives and habits involving prayer and time with the Lord so we can hear God for what he wants for our lives, for our community, for our church. And so I'm going to encourage you to participate in that January 2nd through the 22nd. And I'll be sharing with you in January uh, the word the Lord gave for me for next year on the first Sunday, so you don't want to miss that. And then we'll be praying at our physical locations, our North and South Campus, on Monday through Friday at 6.30 in the morning. So I know that's early, but you're setting a habit and giving God the first of your day, and I promise you it will transform your life if you can create a habit of prayer in your life. So be a part of that. Uh, Okay. We are in uh, the last Sunday of before Christmas. Like I said, this is our last Sunday together. And we've been talking about the Advent season uh, over these last few weeks, and it, which is just the Christmas season. Advent just comes from a Latin word, Adventus, which just means arrival or coming. So we've been looking at the arrival of Jesus or the coming of Jesus. And I've encouraged you guys to slow down in this month, not to rush past it. How many of you guys slow down a little bit and have been spending some time with your family talking about it? Not enough, not enough. Okay, uh, some of you, you know, if, if you were like me and you slowed down, maybe you slowed down a little too much and you realize it's the week of Christmas and you haven't done anything to prepare for actually Christmas. So you may be shopping a lot this week, but... 
slow, I wanted you to slow down and take some time to really think about what this time of year is about. So we've been looking back at the arrival of Jesus and his birth, and we've been looking ahead in anticipation to his second coming, and also we've been practicing his presence in the present. And so we talked about hope in week one. We talked about peace last week, and I'm going to encourage you, if you missed those, to go back and give them a watch or a listen because they will encourage you. We can all use more hope. We can all use more peace. And today I want to talk to you about joy. Joy. It's another theme of this time of year. But I I don't know about you, but I feel like a lot of people over the last couple of years as well have just lost their joy. Uh, They find it hard to find joy in the world that we live in. When you see the things that are going on around you, Uh, When you're experiencing maybe loss or suffering or pain yourself, it can be really challenging to find joy, especially when you see things like natural disasters that we've seen recently, like in Kentucky and Louisiana, and you see all of this devastation and see what these people are going through and suffering through, and you think, man, how could we have joy in a time like this? And so I'm calling this message today, uh, get your joy back, because I do believe that we need to get our joy back. Uh, A lot of people have lost their joy. And so what I want to do is as we look back and we look ahead, I want to give you three things today about joy. If you're taking notes, they will be on the screen. But joy, like I mentioned, is a major theme of this time of year, right? I mean, you see it everywhere. You can go to uh, Lowe's or Home Depot and see these giant signs that say joy that people put in their yard. They light up signs that say joy, right? It's mentioned in Christmas songs everywhere, like we sang today, joy to the world, right? Even people who don't believe in God are singing songs about joy because it's a theme of this time of year. But that song, Joy to the World, it really tells us where joy comes from. And I want to read that passage because it's, it's quoting in Luke chapter 2, verse 10. And I read this to you last week when the angels were making this proclamations to the shepherds about the coming of our Savior. It says, and the angel said to them, the shepherds, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. <clears throat> for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. See, it's telling us right in this passage a, a fact about joy is that joy is a response to good news. Joy is a response. If you're taking notes today, we need to understand if you get some good news, it should bring you some great joy, Amen. right? Good news ought to bring us great joy. <clears throat> it's different than good advice. I could give you some good advice and that won't necessarily bring you great joy, yeah. right? <laughs> I could come and and give you some advice about maybe how to get out of debt. Like if you're in debt, like, hey, let me give you some good advice about this. And I can teach you how to snowball, you know, your payments on things to get out of debt. I can teach you how to budget. And that's great advice, but I doubt you're going to be filled with great joy in that moment. In fact, just talking about budgeting, some of you are like, this is not bringing me joy. You're bringing me down today. But good advice doesn't bring joy. It It may give you some hope, but it doesn't bring you great joy. But good news would. If I came and said, hey, I know you got a lot of debt, but I'm going to give you a million dollars today. Hallelujah. Joy just came into this place. If I said, I'm going to give you a million dollars, you can pay off your debt and it's going to set you up for your life. That's a life-changing joy, right? Joy comes from good news. And in this particular passage and in the New Testament, the word good news comes from the Greek word in the New Testament, euangelion 
which is where we get a word gospel. So gospel is good news. That's why they say the gospel of Jesus is the good news about Jesus. So those are interchangeable words, but it's also where we get our word evangelist because an evangelist is one that brings good news. In fact, that is what that phrase is when the angel said, I bring good news. That actually translates evangelist because they're a bringer of good news. And this phrase would have meant something a lot to the people in this day, Uh, because in that time in history, when an opposing king would come or an opposing army would come and attack your village or your town, your king would go out on behalf of you and fight a battle for you outside of the village or outside of the town. And if you can imagine with me being in this time for a minute where you are in the village knowing a battle is going on and you don't know what's happening because this is before you could live stream everything, right? No one's out there with their phone streaming it across the social media network. There's no helicopters covering this war. So you would be awaiting in your village with your family what's going to happen because if the opposing king wins, your village would probably be destroyed. They would come and they would pillage it They would tear families apart. Either everybody would die or you'd become a slave. So this was a pretty big deal. But if your king won, they would send a messenger or a herald or an evangelist back to the village ahead of the king to bring you the good news that your king has fought a great battle on your behalf and won. So they would have been awaiting this good news. That's why this proclamation would have been very powerful is because they were bringing this good news using the same language of a herald bringing good news of a victory. It gives more meaning to maybe a passage or a verse you've heard before in Isaiah 52, verse 7, that says, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of the messenger who brings good news, the good news of peace and salvation, the news that the God of Israel reigns. This would have been a much more powerful verse when you understand that the good news is coming to people who are awaiting to see if their God has won, if the king has won. This is the position they were in in that day, awaiting some good news. And this is the position that we have been in, is that our king has gone out and won a great battle for us. And the good news is the gospel that Jesus has won a good news for us, a battle for us. So joy is a response to that good news. This is not good advice for your life. This is good news. Let me give you one more analogy because I think it's close to where we are. Let's say, picture with me that you committed a crime that you were guilty of and you're in jail awaiting a sentence. Good news, I mean, good advice could be when your lawyer comes to you and talks about how we're going to negotiate maybe a plea bargain or a shortened sentence or we're going to work out our... That could be some good advice from a lawyer that you would be wise to heed. But good news is if somebody comes in that room and says, your penalty has been paid, you're no longer guilty anymore, you're free to go. This is the good news of salvation, guys. Christianity is not good advice for your life. It's not a self-help book. Christianity is good news that you were dead in sin, but now you're alive in Christ. And if you don't have joy over this, you haven't had a revelation of the joy of your salvation yet. This is why David 
In Psalm 51, 12 said, Restore to me, O Lord, the joy of your salvation. Restore it to me. This is something we have to do on a regular basis is remind ourselves and remember that the good news is the salvation of Jesus. What he did for us on the cross was that we were no longer guilty of that sin. We could be free. But so many people treat Christianity as just good advice for their life, and they wonder why they don't have joy. Because joy doesn't come from good advice. It's good news. And I pray today that you have a revelation of what Jesus did for you. And the the joy of your salvation will come back. If you've lost that joy, he can give you that revelation today. See, the gospel affects your heart, not just your actions. Good advice can affect your actions, but the gospel will affect your heart. And when your heart is transformed, suddenly your actions begin to change. It's not the reverse. But I just want you to understand today the first principle is joy is a response to the good news. The second one is this. Joy is an act of faith. Joy requires faith. And one of our values here at New Covenant is we choose joy daily. I believe you have to choose joy, right? It's more than an emotion. It's more than a feeling. It's it's trusting and believing that what God said is true, even when I don't see that happening around me, I can still have joy in the faith that what God said is true, right? Biblically, this is how joy is defined most. It is, it is an act of faith. You can read all throughout Scripture, especially in the New Testament, that joy is not dependent upon external circumstances. Joy is dependent upon intern, an internal place inside of you. We like to say it this way, that happiness happens by chance, but joy happens by choice. Your happiness can change when your circumstances change. If your joy or happiness is dependent upon your circumstances, that's going to change throughout the rest of your life, right? Whatever's going on around you, if if it affects your joy, it's really just happiness at that point. But joy happens by choice regardless of what's going on around you. It supersedes your circumstances. This is how you can have joy in any circumstance is that it is an act of faith in trusting God. It is not absent of problems and difficulties and sorrow, it is actually working in conjunction. And biblical faith often requires that there's endurance and joy in the same sentence. You'll actually see the word endurance and joy tied together all throughout the New Testament. Let me give you just a couple of passages. One is a pretty famous one in Hebrews 12, 2, talking about Jesus. It says, we look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. For the joy that he wanted to get to, he endured. Endurance is tied to joy. Paul says this in Colossians chapter 1, verse 11, in a prayer where he said, I'm praying that you are being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. I'm praying that God will strengthen you to endure so you can have joy. There is always joy tied to endurance because endurance is needed when you're ready to give up. Endurance is needed when you're ready to quit. And joy is most needed when you're in those same circumstances. You don't need joy when everything else is going around you is great. 
right? I, I don't need joy if my life is perfect. I need joy when it's not. I need joy when it's difficult. I need joy when I'm going through something challenging. When, when everything around me looks bad, that's when I need joy the most. I love this verse in Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. It says, even though the fig trees have no blossoms and there are no grapes on the vines, and even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty, that's looking bleak, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. Let me give you a modern day translation of this. Even though my bank account is empty, even though I have no food on the table, even though I have bills I've got to pay, even though my clothes have holes in them, even though my car doesn't work, yet will I rejoice in the Lord and I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. It is in the middle of your most trying times that you need joy the most. And it's always tied to enduring or going through something difficult. That's why we like to say it this way. You can't choose what happens to you, but you can choose what happens in you. Life will throw you things, and you can't choose what's been dealt to you sometimes. You can't choose the circumstance you're in. Sometimes you're stuck in something you can't get out of, but you can choose what's going on inside of you. You can choose to have joy based on your faith in God in that moment. Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, knew the most about this. He would tell us a lot about you can't have joy without sorrow. In fact, joy lives in the midst of sorrow and difficulty, not in the absence of it. They're not on different ends of the spectrum. They actually work together in conjunction. Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 would give you this long list, if you want to read it sometime, of all the things that he had gone through. He says, I was shipwrecked, I was abandoned, I was beaten, I was hungry, I was cold. And he goes through all of these challenging things he's been through. Then he says this really powerful thing here. And he's, in verse 10, he says, our hearts ache, but we always have joy. I'm in sorrow, I'm in pain, but I always have joy. It's not dependent upon what you're going through. You need it most in the middle of sorrow, right? And if you try to live your life Avoiding pain, avoiding suffering, avoiding sorrow, you will most likely live your life avoiding joy because you can't know joy without sorrow. Jesus would use this same type of analogy in John chapter 16. He would use the example of a woman going through birth pains, but he would say it this way in John 16, 20, telling his disciples, I tell you the truth, you will weep and mourn over what is gonna happen to me but the world will rejoice. You will grieve, but your grief will suddenly turn to wonderful joy, speaking of his death and resurrection. Then he goes on to say, it will be like a woman suffering the pains of labor. When her child is born, her anguish gives way to joy because she has brought a new baby into the world. Then he would go on to say, so you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. Then you will rejoice and no one can rob you of that joy. This picture and this example is incredible of going through childbirth. There is this endurance for nine months of pain and discomfort and suffering. And you're like, why am I doing this? And I don't know if I can do this again. But as soon as you have that baby, it goes from this incredible sorrow and suffering and anguish to this incredible joy. It goes from why did you do this to me to, oh my goodness, look at this beautiful baby, right? 
Anguish gives way to joy. And women do this over and over again. They know that they can endure the pain because of what's coming ahead. This is a beautiful picture of what Jesus was trying to say, even in, even in his death and resurrection, that there was going to be suffering and you're going you're gonna to have sorrow, but when I rise again, you're going to then have great joy. One powerful principle there is that the resurrection did not erase the pain of the cross. He still had to go through the pain. It simply overwhelmed it with joy. He still had to go through the pain. Remember, it says that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. You were the joy set before him. A relationship with you is why he endured that pain. And in the same way, we look through our sorrow, we look through our suffering to the joy of him set before us, and we can endure anything. It's a beautiful picture of how joy is tied to sorrow. You can have joy in the midst of it. They work in tandem. Biblical joy gives us hope for the future that what is coming is better than what we're in right now. I love the way that Peter says it in 1 Peter chapter 1. He says, you love him even though you have never seen him, speaking of Jesus. Though you do not see him now, you trust him and you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. Even though you haven't seen Jesus, we've, none of us that I know of in this room have physically seen him with our eyes, yet we love him. And because we love him and we trust him, there's the faith, we can experience a glorious, inexpressible joy in this life because of our faith in him. Supernatural joy is inexpressible. It doesn't make sense in the natural, but it's based on our faith in God. It's an act of faith. That's why Paul, once again, writing from prison in the middle of his suffering, wrote this famous verse in Philippians chapter four, verse four, that says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'm gonna tell you, rejoice. It was so good the first time, I'm gonna say it again. Rejoice, take joy again. He's writing this from prison. Rejoice in the Lord. Take your joy back again is what he's saying. Some of you need to take your joy back. You need to get joy back into your life. And that is what Advent and Christmas season is all about is that we are looking back at the arrival of Jesus that represented joy coming to the earth and we look ahead to being with him again and the joy that that will bring and we practice his joy in the present. We remember that light came into the dark And in the same way, light will come into the dark moments of our life and bring joy right in the middle of it. So joy is an act of faith. And then finally, joy is a position. Joy is a position. What do you mean by that? Joy is based on your position with God. In this famous verse in Nehemiah 8.10, maybe you've heard this before, it's a famous verse uh, in church world growing up. We used to sing songs about this as, as kids. I'm not going to try to sing it for you because my voice is already suffering and I can't sing. So those are two bad combinations. <laughs> but it goes like this. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Have you ever heard that verse before? The joy of the Lord is your strength. And that's a great verse to hold on to. It's a great verse to hang on to. But let me give you the context of what was going on in this time. Nehemiah had gone back to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls, right? The walls were, were, were down and he was saddened by it that his city had been broken down and the people have actually wandered away from God. So he goes back to rebuild the walls. And during this time, Ezra the prophet comes and they, be, they begin to call an assembly of all of these people who had wandered away from the Lord. 
And Ezra gets out these scrolls and begins to read for like four or five hours. It says from like eight to noon, the commandments of the Lord found in the book of the law. And as he's reading these commandments, the people realize that their hearts had wandered from God. They begin to realize that they've been disobeying God. And they begin to weep and they begin to mourn and they begin to lament and they begin to repent. And after they repented and they were mourning, Nehemiah says, don't grieve anymore for the joy of the Lord is your strength. What was he saying? He was saying, you don't have to mourn or grieve anymore. You've repented. Your position with God is a place of joy at this point. You can have joy in your position with the Lord. I love the way that David said it in Psalm 16, verse 8. He said, I have set the Lord always before me. In other words, I'm focusing on him, my attentions on him, my affections toward him. And because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. That's a position. He's with me. I'm staring at him. I'm looking at him. And so I'm not worried in this life because I'm focused on him. Then he says, therefore because of all of this, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices and my flesh dwells securely. He is rejoicing in his position with God. But then in verse 11, he says it this way, you make known the path to me, the path of life. And in your presence, there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. He's saying, because of my position with you, God, Because I'm in your presence, I can experience this overwhelming fullness of joy. Joy is based on your position with the Father. Our position with our Father gives us overwhelming, complete, full joy. And as a kid, there's no greater joy than having the approval of your Father. It's why as kids, we're always saying, watch me do this, Dad. Watch me do this. Watch me dive. Watch me do a cartwheel. Watch me hit this baseball. Watch me do whatever. We're always seeking their approval because we want to hear that voice say, I'm so proud of you, son. I'm so proud of you, daughter. You're doing a great job. That's why they keep asking over and over again. And I know that's maybe difficult because all of us wanted to hear that, but not all of us had a good father. And maybe you grew up and you didn't have a good father. You had an absent father and you worked your whole life to hear that approval from your father. And even if you had a good father, it was never going to be enough. We were made as humans to hear the approval of our father. It's a desire that's in every single one of us to hear, I'm proud of you. I approve of you. I love you. And we will do anything we can to get it because we know that when we hear that, we're going to be filled with this overwhelming sense of joy because of our position and our status with the Father. And I was thinking this last week as I was remembering a time sitting on the couch with my middle daughter, Emma. We were just sitting on the couch. She just finished her homework. I was working on my computer. We were doing nothing special, but I couldn't quit staring at her. And I was just looking at her and I'm filled with this overwhelming joy because she's my daughter, because I love her. And she looks at me and she's like, what dad? I was like, I just love you. She wasn't doing anything to earn my approval. She wasn't working hard to get me to say anything to her. I just loved her unconditionally because of her position as my daughter. And some of you need to hear today that because of your position as a son and a daughter, 
of our Father. He loves you. He approves you. There is overwhelming joy in his presence. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to prove anything. Because of your position as a son and a daughter, he says, you're mine. I chose you. I love you. That's when you're going to find the true joy in this life. It's when you realize your position with the Father. I feel like the Heavenly Father wanted you to know that today. That you don't have to work for it. He says, I approve. And because you're mine, I want you to have my joy in you. That's where the joy of the Lord comes from. It's your strength in those difficult moments. I want you to live your life, not for his approval, but from his approval. A son and a daughter doesn't have to live for approval. They can live from the approval of the father. So if you're lacking joy today, I want you to get your joy back. I want you to remember the joy of your salvation. I want faith to come in and fill you with joy right in the middle of your pain, knowing you're in right position with your father, that he loves you and he chose you today. Amen. Would you bow your heads with me wherever you are at either campus or online? And I just want to lead you in a time of prayer. First of all, I just want to thank Jesus for coming to this earth, dying on the cross for us so that we could be sons and daughters, that we could be adopted into the family, that we could be yours. So Lord, I pray today, God, as we are here remembering what you did for us, looking ahead to what you are doing for us in the present and in the future, God, I just pray, Lord, that there's anybody here today who needs to remember the joy of their salvation that you would remind them of this good news that they have been forgiven that they have been freed that they have been made whole again in you God and you would restore that joy to us God I pray you would fill us with faith right now Lord, for joy to endure whatever life brings God whatever difficult moments whatever difficult seasons I ask for faith to endure God and that joy would flood in to the lives of everybody asking for it right now. But maybe you're here today or you're watching online and maybe you, you didn't have joy in your salvation. You, maybe you're like, you know what? That doesn't bring me great joy. And I would say, I would question your salvation. I would question whether you've had a revelation of what Jesus has done for you. Because once you have, you can't help but be filled with joy. And maybe today you're saying, you know what, I need, I need to do that. I, I want that joy. I want that revelation. And I don't want to miss this opportunity for you to have that in the, what should be one of the most joyous times of the year for you to receive the true joy of the Lord from the good news of your salvation. So if that's you, wherever you are, if that's you, would you mind just if that slipping your hand up? Just ask me, Pastor. I, want, I would like to make sure. I want to have that joy of my salvation. I want to have that revelation of what Jesus did for me on the cross and if you're watching or listening and that's you I want to lead you in a prayer and it's not the prayer that saves you but it is what what you say to God and what you mean in your heart so just pray this with me say Jesus I give you my life bring me your salvation I turn from my ways and I choose to follow you I give you my life in Jesus name amen Amen. Can we take a minute and just celebrate everybody that made that decision? Amen. I want to we'll give you some instruction on that here in a minute. But I just, I wanted you to be filled with joy today. Like Romans 15, 13 says, I pray that the God of hope will fill you with all joy and peace in believing in him and trusting him. And when you do, 
that his overwhelming hope will fill you with the power of the Holy Spirit. That is my prayer for you today, that you will get your joy back. So how I want to end this service is I want us to stand together and I want us to sing about the joy of the Lord. And, and as we're doing that, just allow the joy of God to flood you, to flood your heart as you remember your position in him today. Come on, let's worship. for joining us today. I pray this message encouraged you, inspired you, and maybe even challenged you a little bit. If you made a decision for Jesus, we are celebrating with you. Welcome to the family of God. We would love to know about it. So message us online or you can text yes card to 903-200-3808 and let us know what decision you made. We want to come alongside you, help you find a local church. It's very important to be connected to the local body of Christ, whether with us or somewhere else. So let us know so we can help
help you and let you know your next steps with Jesus. I'd love to see you real soon in person, but until then, know that I'm praying for you. I'm praying God's best in your life. God bless you.